God, please empower us by your wonderful, merciful spirit to understand your word, understand what you have said, and, and be transformed through, through your working through us. Illumine your text to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <sighs> well, like I said, there's a bit of irony in, uh, in, in our text for today. Um, mm, it's copying it, isn't it? Yeah. I'll get this one of these days, I promise. Um, so, so our text today is in Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish off, finish off chapter 6 today, actually. Uh, so, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of, the, one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. So I, I come to you, like I said, with a bit of irony here. I have had an absolutely crazy week. Uh, I have not gotten done the things that I intended to get done. I've, I've struggled with, uh, with, with even doing something as simple as calling an electrician. So you can imagine that when I come to this text that says, you know, don't worry, don't be anxious. It's like, <laughs> oh, Lord, you got a sense of humor. Thanks, pal. I appreciate that. But not only just that, but, but, uh, Fear and anxiety, especially, are common themes in, in, in my family's life, in my life. Um, I don't want to give the impression that I'm ruled by anxiety uh, or that anxiety is the only way that I respond to things, um, but I'm well aware of the crippling effect of anxiety. I've learned over time, uh, and sinfully so, to explain certain anxieties, to make them sound legitimate. Um, I, I've also learned sinfully how to make people feel guilty when I'm anxious. I can make them feel pity on me and, and maybe, maybe, uh, turn the tide of what they want to do. I'm well acquainted with the anxiety that makes the hands tremble, the vision blur, the heart race, 
the breathing become hurried and uneven. And I hope that you can empathize with me in that. Friends, Jesus has words for people like you and me. Now, going into the text, uh, the fact that the very first word of Matthew 6.25 is therefore should actually drive us backward. Uh, the, the word therefore, there, there's an old question when it comes to biblical interpretation where you, need, you should always be asking, what's that therefore, therefore? Ah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there's a space that second time. You, you, you need to be driven backward whenever you see a therefore because you may not get the whole scope of the text. So, uh, so right off the bat, we should recognize, one, that this is directly related to what was just said. So we got to look backwards. And two, Jesus is beginning some form of a conclusion, he doesn't normally do this. This is more Pauline. This is more of Paul's thing when he says, therefore. He says, for, 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 therefore. But Jesus is preaching, and he provides an application of what he's been preaching. That sounds great until you read it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he's, he says, therefore, to grab your attention, kind of like if he were to say, truly, truly, I say to you. He wants, he wants your attention, so let's give Jesus our attention here. Uh, when we look backwards, just to summarize what, what has just been said, it was, it was our text for last week, Matthew 19 through 24. Jesus is saying essentially this, don't store your treasure on earth where things corrode, where things are stolen, but instead store your treasure in heaven where it's eternal. Therefore, you can either serve God, or you can serve money. Your treasure on heaven, uh, your, treasure, your treasure is either on heaven or on earth. Your master is either God or money. Heaven, God is your treasure. Earth, money is your treasure. Leaving us the question, well, what, what do we work for? Do you work for more of God? Or do you work for more of worldliness? And that is where our therefore starts. With that haunting question, the one that should really make us examine our heart. What are my efforts going into? Is it going for something earthly or is it going for something heavenly? And that's where Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Well, wait a second. What does it mean to be anxious? <laughs> don't be anxious, so don't try? Am I, am I supposed to be lazy? If I'm not anxious, does that mean I just can be lackadaisical and carefree and hakuna matata my way through my days? Ah, man, if only everybody knew that song. Anyway, <laughs> but, but uh, you... Anyway, did you just call me Mr. Pig? Anyway, <laughs> so so you uh, so so does is that what that means? If I'm not supposed to be anxious, am I just supposed to be all laissez-faire, walking through life, not not caring? No, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And actually, the 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 word here for anxiety. I'm going to skip the sermon summary for now, but this is point number one. The word here uh, should be summarized like this. To be anxious is to be pulled in multiple directions at once. 
Doesn't that sound like a wonderful definition of anxiety where you just kind of feel like you're being torn apart in all these different ways? You don't know where to turn. The, the, the word, again, that we translate as anxious literally means to be pulled apart in two directions. You ever have two friends fighting and you're kind of caught in the middle and you're like, uh, and you feel pulled between the two? Or you ever take a piece of paper and with your two hands rip it in two? Or maybe in Jesus' time, if you were to rend your garments, don't be rent. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be pulled in two directions. Don't be pulled in two directions about your life. Well, again, he gives us those two masters, right? God and money. We can either serve God or we can serve money. Therefore, don't be pulled between the two. That's Jesus' plea. And it's not, it is a command, but it's not an angry command, right? You can read this wrong. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But that's not how Jesus is saying it. And yet, honestly, that's how we'll read a later verse. Just probably, probably through, uh, through just our time spending in it. But we'll get there. But, but it, it, don't be anxious about your life. Don't feel like you're being pulled in some sort of a, a, a celestial tug of war between good and right, between the angel and the demon on your shoulders. Don't be anxious about your life, Jesus says. Why? Why? Well, we'll get to that. But don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, wait a second, Jesus. I do need food. Don't I? Don't I? I mean, I need a little less. But we, we all need food and none of us wants to walk around naked. Kind of need clothes. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? To be a hippie naked commune that never eats and starves to death? Is that, is that where Jesus is going with this? Can I be uh, homeless? Am I allowed by this text? If I'm not to be worried, not to be anxious about what I'll eat or what I'll drink, can I just go be a, uh, actually, legitimately this is a thing. It's called freeganism, not veganism, freeganism, where you go and you eat out of trash cans. It was really popular about 20 years ago. Uh, so, like YouTube started, and all of a sudden somebody realized that freeganism was a real thing. You could go and like just raid trash cans, totally legal. If it's in the garbage, you can have it. So just raid trash cans, never pay for a meal again. That um, was part of part of the thought of homelessness, right? Oh well, you can go live, and you can live under a bridge. You got sh- you got you got cover. You got you know shelter. Uh, you got shelter. Um, you've maybe got warmth if you light a dumpster on fire. Um, but then you can't eat out of it unless you're barbecuing. But but you can just eat the eat the garbage. Still totally legal. So is that what this text is saying? If I'm not to be anxious about my life, does God want me to be uh, hungry and naked, homeless? Don't we have to work for a living? Yes, actually, biblically. Uh, two principles. Principle number one: nowhere in the Bible is flagrant slothfulness affirmed. I love that word. You ever watch nature documentaries and you watch, the, you watch a sloth? I mean, you don't watch it for long. They have to change the image because you get bored watching the sloth because they're so appropriately titled. They, they move so slow. Uh, if you've seen Zootopia, there is a scene with sloths at the DMV. 
The DMV is run by sloths, and it is the most brilliant scene. Seriously, Zootopia is worth watching because of that one scene, and it takes like 10 minutes for this scene, and it's just so painfully slow that it's humorous. Anyway, um, but the sloth is appropriately named because it means somebody that's too lazy to do anything. So principle number one, nowhere in the Bible is flagrant slothfulness affirmed. In fact, it's actually condemned. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 21.25, the desire of the sluggard, another wonderful word, but it basically means a slothful person, but you think of a slug, how slow they move. Uh, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. I should have put it in here. I don't remember the exact quotation, but the statement is the sluggard is essentially too lazy to bring the dish to his mouth. That's condemned. Slothfulness is condemned. And then you've actually got in the New Testament, got the Thessalonians. They were encouraged in the first letter. First Thessalonians, great letter, full of encouragement, uh, reminders of Jesus's imminent return. But then the Thessalonians take it wrong and uh, some of them start to stop working. Why? Because Jesus is coming back soon, right? Since he's coming back soon, I don't need to work. I can pop out my lawn chair. I can, uh, I can make my mom make me some, some iced tea, and I can wait. Yeah, basking in that Thessalonian sun. <laughs> and uh, what ends up happening is Second Thessalonians is written, condemning that. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually says this, for even when we were with you, we, were, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So God is not, Jesus is not telling us that the Father is going to take care of us, so don't even work. You can be a freegan. Yeah. No, that's not what God is saying. Second principle and this is kind of a spiritualized idea of work, right? We're actually called to imitate those who, whose work glorified God. Hebrews 6.12, so that you may not be sluggish. That sounds familiar, right? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to be working towards uh, greater holiness, um, where God is the one who does the work in us, but we respond to it by working towards uh, a greater relationship with the Lord. You can grow. Listen, if, if, if you are so spiritual that you can grow in your sanctification apart from God's word, that's nice. That's, that's kind. But I'll show you my sanctification by growth in his word. We need to work ourselves into the word of God and not piecemeal. Not two minutes one day and week goes by and another five minutes and then you take a take. I, I do a Bible reading plan every year and I'll tell you, usually some month goes by where I'm 10 days behind and I just want to crinkle it up and start over. But uh, guess what? It's not what I'm called to do. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to, as the author of Hebrews says, not be sluggish. We're supposed to work, but we're supposed to work in holiness. And then, in terms of actual physical work, we're supposed to work to eat food. That's the point of the Thessalonians, or to the, the, Paul saying that to the Thessalonians. And then to the Colossians, he says, whatever you do, work heartily, 
as for the Lord and not for men. You're supposed to serve the Lord in your job, whatever you're doing. You work heartily for God, not for men. You might want that bonus check, but hey, you know what? Honestly, it's better to be uh, looked in, in favor by God. So the answer ultimately is no, God does not want us to not work, but instead he wants us to work heartily. But our text today is not talking about that. It's talking about anxiety about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear or what we're going to drink. What this text is describing is actually a crippling anxiety. Think about it. If you were so worried that you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from, that you couldn't even apply for welfare or go to uh, one of the various food pantries or, um, or call up your, your, your parent and plead for money for food, if you are so worried about it that you're not able to do that, you're crippled. And I'm sure you can all reflect on that happening where you've had a task that you know that you need to do, but you just can't bring yourself to do it. Why? Because you're anxious. You're being pulled in multiple directions all at once. What you need to do is fix that leak. But you know what? There's also a soup on the stove and there's that thing you've been working on that, uh, you know, may, maybe the building of a new uh, railing for your deck, or uh, maybe there's that person you need to call. You get pulled in all the directions at once. That is anxiety, and it's crippling. It makes it so you just can't get done what you need to get done. In this case, Jesus is reassuring his listeners and to us as the readers, commanding them to not worry. When he says, do not be anxious, he says, stop, stop worrying. We, we even in modern day are being told, don't be anxious. It's so hard to do to not be anxious. But the problem with anxiety the problem with being anxious, especially about these daily needs, food and clothing, is that when we're anxious about it, we try to take God's throne. We don't trust him. Let's make this clear, though. Jesus, again, is not giving us a command to be lazy. He's instead commanding us to not be pulled apart. Isn't that, isn't that good? Isn't that good news? Unless you want to be lazy. But, but he's telling us to not be sliced in two, not be rent, not be pulled to the, port, the point where we can't even act, to be overly concerned about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. We're not supposed to try and act like God. We're not supposed to be so concerned that we make, we make this happen, but we're supposed to rest in God. That's why this is such a comfort. This is not a rebuke. It is to the Gentiles, but it's, 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 it's supposed to be a comfort to us, which leads us to the second point. Jesus has compassion on the anxious. That is actually what this section is, is compassion on people who, who struggle with anxiety. To those of us who struggle with anxiety, to people who are constantly crippled by fear, indecisiveness, unable to trust, and are so torn apart by all the things that could go wrong in this world, Jesus has compassion on you. That's what these, these verses are. 
He looks at you with grace-filled eyes, seated on his sovereign throne with complete and utter control of everything. Your worries, your fears, your anxieties, all those things that you are holding on to because you think they need to be handled constantly by you, they're already in his hands. Leave them there. God can do these things better. The Father can do these things better. And we don't need to try and yank them back constantly. You cannot control things better than the Lord. And Jesus has two statements in this text that bear that particular doctrine in mind. Reading on, we get to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to the bottom here, but he says this thing that can be taken insultingly. It almost sounds insulting. It's at the end of verse 30. Jesus says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Is that how he said it? Is that, is, do, you, do you really think that Jesus said it in such an insulting term? Almost sarcastically. Listen, <laughs> if God can clothe the lilies, he can clothe you, stupid. <laughs> Would that be a good paraphrase of what Jesus says there? No. No. Basically, we can take that particular statement, oh, you of little faith, in two ways. It's either insulting, angry, and frustrated, or it's compassionate and pitied. When we consider the tone of this text, do not be anxious. You think Jesus is trying to make his people anxious to tell them not to be anxious? It's like if you grab someone who's panicking and say, stop panicking. You think that's going to work? <laughs> no, of course not. They're going to panic more. Now they've got your face in theirs and they're shaking. And they're like, oh my goodness. Might shock them out of it, but it's not going to stop them from panicking. When we consider the tone of this text, it's not condemning and cranky, but compassionate and loving. Jesus doesn't want our worries overcome uh, with a hard slap in the face. That's not how Jesus does things. But instead with a reminder of his compassion on us who struggle in this sin-marred world. No, we're not supposed to read this in an insulting term. When we, or tone, when we read, oh, you of little faith, it's not supposed to sound like Jesus is mad at us. Instead, it's supposed to be a, a, a comfort. How can that be a comfort? It, it sounds insulting. It sounds hurtful. Well, first of all, remember that the word faith is synonymous with the word trust. It's the Greek word pistis. Um, not, it, it has not turned into anything. So sometimes I can say like, oh yeah, this word evolved and that's where we get this word. No, no, uh, that, not that one. But, but the Greek word pistis is both faith and trust. So when, when Jesus is saying what we translate as, oh, you of little faith, he's saying, oh, you of little trust. You who cannot trust your father, he's so good He's so kind. He's so compassionate. He feeds birds. Aren't you of much more value than birds? I get annoyed by the crows here. They are every, they're like rats. 
like the rats of the Pacific Northwest crows. They sit on the roof and they bang their face against a metal pipe above my office. Why? Why? They, for such intelligent beings, right? We constantly look at crows and especially ravens, like, oh, you can train them, they're smart. They eat dead things and they bang their face on pipes. I would not consider that intelligent. That's the way God made them. But he feeds them. God feeds them. Are you not of more value than a crow? Or blue jays? Oh, man, in the Willamette Valley, uh, I haven't heard them as much here, but blue jays scream constantly. I, their, their chirp is not a, you know, you think of a little whistling bird, you know. <laughs> not a blue jay. A blue jay is like, ah, ah. <laughs> and they, there's like 50 of them in a yard and they're going and they drive me absolutely bonkers. It's why you want double pane windows. It's not to keep the cold out and the heat in. It's to ignore the blue jays better. But God feeds them. And the lilies of the field, the dandelions out there, you know, they're weeds. They grow everywhere. In fact, my weed whacker loves them. Send their petals. Like when you hit them with the weed whacker, just poof, the petals go everywhere. But God clothes them and they look pretty, look prettier than I do. But I'm of much more value than they. No, when Jesus says, oh, you of little trust, oh, you of little faith, it's not insulting. It's a reminder that when we get anxious, when we start to get worried about, about things that honestly we're not even in control of and we get crippled, it, Jesus is trying to pull us back gently, kindly, meekly, humbly, remind us of our own position. So Jesus has compassion on the anxious. And then the second statement that I want to hit on is in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, here's where stories abound, right? Like, well, I, 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 I was nervous about flying, and so I didn't fly, and then the plane crashed, and everybody died, and God saved my life, or I saved my life. No. No, no, no. Matthew 10, 28 to 30, uh, Jesus is, is, is encouraging, and you, <laughs> this doesn't sound like an encouragement, but he's encouraging people, and he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that? That's God. Fear him. Fear him, not man who might be able to kill your body, but honestly, your soul is, is in the hand of the Lord. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Think of that. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? What do we have smaller than a penny for uh, money? Nothing. And there's two of them per penny. <laughs> they are worthless. And yet not a single sparrow dies apart from the hand of the father. Are you not much more value than the sparrow that's sold for two for a penny? Even your hairs are numbered. Your hairs that fall out in the, in the shower, 
and clogged the drain. God has them numbered from start to last. Your days are numbered by God, not numbered by the fact that you may have avoided a plane crash or you may have avoided a a car accident. God is the one who sets that up, who ordains exactly how many seconds you are to live. So by worrying, can you possibly add a single hour to your life? No. No. Which leads us to our next point. Anxiety cripples, but faith reassures. And we've covered this. It's been the underlying piece of everything we've talked about for the last however many minutes I've, uh, I've been torturing you. We're not called to be carefree or stupid. That's not the call of the Christian. We are called, however, to forsake anxiety, to forsake worry, which tries to overtake God's throne. And instead... We're supposed to admit that we are the ones of little trust. And we need, we need God's help to grow in that trust. Some worries are good worries. For instance, I would not cover myself in salmon and walk in Alaska during the salmon run when bears are fishing. Probably good to worry about that. I would not walk down the middle of a highway with my arms outstretched. That would be stupid and carefree. There are certain reasons God gave us fear, and bears are one of those reasons. Just saying. Just in general. Cougars also. Anyway, uh, but think about Jesus's encouragements here. He's not telling people to be stupid. He's not telling people to be carefree. Instead, he's saying, are you not of more value than birds and grass? Your heavenly Father knows you need things. And he loves to provide them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he'll make sure you're taken care of. Do these sound like unwise statements? And then the last one, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some of us have really hard days. Some of us have really hard days coming up. And we can see them in the distance. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. Are you not of much more value to your father than your troubles, than sparrows? Anxiety in Jesus' usage here seems more linked with us forgetting our value before God, doesn't it? God's knowledge of our needs our desire to seek our own kingdom instead of his kingdom and his righteousness? Do you struggle with these things? Do you forget that you're more important than grass? Do you forget that God knows what you need better than you do? Do you forget that God's kingdom is most important and that he takes care of his own subjects? Do you forget that tomorrow's troubles Or do you forget that today's troubles are enough and tomorrow's troubles aren't something you probably can't even manage yet? I can promise you each of us fits in one of those categories. At least one. (laughs) Maybe all. (laughs) Each of us wrestles with our own hearts and minds, 
Uh, and the antidote, so says Jesus, to any of those that creep in, that crawl into your mind, that slither in like Satan himself, that cause anxiety, is to remember God's gracious care, his kind, compassionate statements. So now we've painted the picture of the text, and this, this is where we really get to the sermon summary. Anxiety murders our trust that God is on the throne and takes care of our daily needs. Anxiety is a murderer. It's a killer. It cripples us. And um, the, the, the reality is that that statement that I made, the sermon summary, the reason I didn't start with it is because it can be taken some really unbiblical ways. Not all anxiety is bad. Sometimes you're happy, anxious. Am I going to do good in this job interview? Uh, a year ago, I was interviewing for NAM. A year ago would be uh, this next Saturday. I was driving up to Seattle pre-COVID when you could actually go places. Uh, driving up to Seattle, worried about what was going to happen, how these interviews were going to go, uh, how honest should I be? <laughs> um, how, how much should I self-promote and praying? And you know what? Honestly, this text was something that hit me pretty hard. It was a reminder that, that, that I shouldn't be worried about it. Instead, I should go and I should, to God's glory, be as honest as I possibly can, which I can be honest to a fault. If, if you've had conversations with me, <laughs> I can be honest to a fault. No, I, I knew that this was, whatever the Lord's will was going to be, I was going to do. And I had heard about this church. I had heard about Toledo. I had heard about how you guys were moving towards a replant, moving towards a, a desire to, to have um, a pastor come in who was going to, going to push things to, to, to um, not leave the past. I don't remember how it was phrased, but essentially go through the process of replanting. And I, I remember, I remember the, the happy anxiousness. That sounds fun. Near the coast? A, a, a timber town that has, that has drugs and needs the gospel. It's going to be hard soil, but it just proves to me that the more people that come to faith, whether it's one or a hundred, it doesn't matter. This is all God's work, and I get to help in that. that I'm excited. Yes, praise God for this. And then there was the anxiety again of, of well, how do, I, how do I tell people that, that this is all Christ, that this is all God, this is... How do, how do I talk to people in these interviews? We all have anxieties. Don't be crippled by them. Don't be anxious about the, the, the things that you know God is in control of, that you should know that God is in control of. How you're going to move, where you're going to move. How are you going to go through this next season of life that looks painful? Where your next paycheck is going to come from? Don't worry, don't worry to the point of not being able to do anything. Being frozen in fear is not helpful to anyone. Oh, you of little trust, trust your father, Jesus says. He cares for you. Let's pray.
Father, we must repent. We must remember that your kingdom, your righteousness is, is most important. We must repent because we fall into the category of, of, of those that forget how much you care for us. We forget that in different ways. We forget that in, in, in maybe arguing about how, what we're going to have for dinner or, uh, or, or complaining about what we have for dinner. We forget, um, we forget how much you care for us when our clothes fade, when we can't wear that favorite shirt that fits just right still. We forget over silly things like that, but we also forget over big things. So God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would work into us repentance, work into us uh, a transformation, a living of this gospel truth of how much you loved us so much that you sent your own son to die for us, to bleed for us, to say these words, to be recorded for us. What good news that is. May we live this good news. May we be not just affected by it for today, but may it stick in us. You are so kind. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The same God who is so powerful to pull you from the grips of sin and death and hell cares for your daily needs. He is kind, saints. Go in peace.